This week's episode is brought to you in part by OnlineTherapy.com. OnlineTherapy.com is a CBT-based therapy platform. It's totally online. Check it out. Thank you, Online Therapy, for sponsoring, and enjoy the show. Hunter, yeah. Have you ever watched a movie called The Lion's King? Once. Now it's a film that the most important aspect of it is that it has Jeremy Irons in it. That's uh, well. Wait, doesn't it have like uh, uh, Darth Vader's voice in it as well? James Earl Jones as Simba. Yes. Yeah. Yes, like that's, that's his name. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Darth Vader's voice. <laughs> um, it it is probably what he's best known for. Yeah. Uh, yes, there's a there's a portion at the beginning of that film. Now I do want to alert our audience. This is a Disney film, mm-hmm. and I know that's verboten now. But this was before Disney was the pushing dark times. the yeah the transsexual Filipino midget lesbian agenda, <laughs> which they are now. It's not so secret, according to them. But there's <laughs> a there's a a scene from the beginning of that film. That contains a song called "The Circle of Life," of which I I would just I would say I beautifully rendered a portion of that just a few moments ago. Uh, I was thinking about it today because I wake up in the morning as is my typical routine, <laughs> and that's a little circle of life right there, right? But yeah. But then I walk into my office where my fish tanks reside, mm-hmm. and I the first the, this is how I start off my day. I have a fish tank that has multiple nano fish in it as well as uh, a variety of crustaceans and and shelled shelled creatures such as snails yeah. and the very first thing i see is one of my my black phantom tetras was swimming around is that a fish or a math equation a black phantom tetra it's uh it's one of the transformation have have you seen there's a show daniel phantom that used to be on nickelodeon um, Danny it's, Phantom. It's it's his ultimate form. Okay. Yes. <laughs> After he beats Frieza, the thing is, I oh don't watch God. a lot of TV. <laughs> but the very first thing I saw today is one of my Black Phantom Tetras mm-hmm. had a little something in his mouth, and he was swimming along, and he was doing what fishes do, or they bite down on it, and they spit it out, and then they bite down on it again. Yeah. And. Yeah. Uh, I was like, "Oh, that's weird. He's eating. He's eating a leaf to to one of my plants." So I go over just to to you know admire their yeah. raw nature and beauty. The circle of and, life. Yeah, homie was devouring one of my shrimps. <laughs> okay. The shrimps have just had babies, <laughs> so I thought you would think maybe he'd pick off a little one. Yeah. No, he had like. It looked like a seven-year-old found an entire lobster tail and was just carrying it around, hanging out of its mouth, dripping butter and garlic all across the floor. It was. It took him... I, I watched him try and eat it for almost half an hour. That's how much shrimp we're talking about here. I'm worried because I'm afraid I have to ask you a terrible question. Okay. Do you have to put him down now that he has the taste for blood? That... Uh, I'm not even joking. <laughs> Is that a real thing? It went through my mind. I have no idea if it's a real thing or not, but I was like, now he might have the hunger. Right? <laughs> and so uh, so that, that could be pretty intense. All right. 
anyhow, uh, it, it's been a Lion King kind of day. I've just been quoting Jeremy Irons quotes all day in my own head. Um, but that's neither here nor there because here is Carl Pulling. Carl Pulling, it's the number one show across all mediums. And you're lucky to be listening to it right now if you're within the sound of my voice. We have a, a fantastic show for you today. I'm actually, I've, I've been looking forward to this for several weeks, and I'm glad we finally get to share it with you. If you were watching our Instagram, you might have gotten a small sneak peek of what we're talking about today. So if you don't, follow us at carlpulling.com. Rate the show five stars. Love the show. Review the show. Tell us what you want us to talk about in the form of a five-star review, that makes it far more palatable for me to take direction from our ignorant, foolish, backwards, backslidden audience if you have have encased it in a five-star review. And email us at carlpulling at gmail.com. But very excited today to have with us a special guest on Carl Pulling, the number one show, the show that will get you fired. And his, his first name is Patrick. And his second name is unpronounceable Blonsky. in English. Oblonsky. Bl- ab- <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm butchering it intentionally. But Patrick, thank you for joining us. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I love talking about this stuff, so I'm looking forward to where we'll go with this. Yes. So Patrick is um, a Catholic, I take it, and I don't listen. We have a deeply Protestant audience, and I tell you guys right now, if you're not nice, I know where most of you live. Okay, <laughs> okay, and I will come. I will come find you. We're friends. What's the Reagan quote, Hunter? Uh, the there's the old Reagan truism that you you never attack your friends. Yeah. And in a yeah. world full of of Methodists, the Catholics are our closest friends. <laughs> oh. Remember that. That's um, rough. But That's we're going to talk a little bit true. about the the Bible. T- it is true. Apparently. <laughs> Patrick, have you heard about this? Apparently, there was a huge schism in the Methodist Church because half of them think that they should have LGBTQIA yeah, plus I, ministers. I, I did hear about this. Yeah, that's. I just wonder, did they? Is there another version of the Bible that I just like? I didn't get. You know what I'm saying? I guess. I don't know. They might be on some other stuff over there. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's uh, what's it called? We're falling into something like idiosyncrasies where. We're, just become like we hyper focus on uh we've lost our sense of identities in other way and so the only way we can identify ourselves is through who we're attracted to or what sex we ate uh, patrick that, yeah. i'm supposed to be the insightful one on this okay <laughs> rocky start found reagan's 11th commandment which was thou shalt not speak ill of another republican that's a that's a little okay. partisan all right, I, I guess everyone's going to be smarter on the show than me today, which is just fantastic. <laughs> Off to a terrible start here. Um, okay, but uh, as you might have gleaned a little bit from Patrick's response there, we're going to be diving into the Bible, and we're going to be diving into it with a, an analytical lens that points to some some disparate and probably unpredictable areas and I am super excited about it. So I hope you are too. But before we have dessert, it is required 
that we eat our meat because as the ineffable pink floyd once said how can you have any pudding if you haven't eaten your meat hunter it is time for the meat specifically the rancid meat that has been (laughs) run over by an ice cream truck on its way to deliver razor blades to kids disguised as candy deliver unto us immediately the roadkill if you will so this is like this is not necessarily the roadkill but we can talk about this as long as we want to and it's not technically roadkill either uh, unless you count all the people that are going to cry about this um not not a huge fan of this guy but this just this is just going to make a lot of people's day horrible uh tucker carlson is starting a brand new show that is going to launch exclusively on twitter um this is literally posted by him uh i don't know any of the details or anything like that but he goes into a very long discussion here on this short video um it's kind of bizarre because the most famous cable news show host gets ditched by fox canned by fox and now is going to be partnering up with the world's uh best supervillain rocket extraordinaire free speech enthusiast elon musk uh to to uh start his own show on twitter i i'm just curious if you have thoughts there but it's not typical roadkill content but it's just so breaking i had to bring it up no, let's talk about it. But then yeah. I, I also think you owe me more roadkill. I'm just going to be straight up with you yeah. about that. Yeah, I can, I can help you out there. Uh, I, I'm sure I've talked about this on the show because it's literally my favorite piece of content on the entire internet. But when Tucker Carlson, when that guy camera mobs Tucker Carlson when he's fly fishing in Central Park in, yeah. in New York, yeah, um, he is my favorite smirking flannel daddy. And <laughs> to combine that with elon musk our favorite smirking rocket daddy and mm-hmm. also jamie's actual daddy daddy i think <laughs> it's me every time <laughs> I, I i it's a really interesting play right it's interesting yeah. to go from from basically the nation's biggest primetime broadcaster Mm -hmm. to going to an online only show you know he's basically a youtuber but not on youtube now yeah Uh, it's very interesting i i don't know exactly where it will go but i'm excited for it i'm also excited to see what tucker does unshackled from the murdochs yeah because they're not my favorite yeah it's definitely interesting like no matter what happens there it's going to be bizarre but i'll give the people what they want Uh, This is from the Washington Post. To understand biological sex, look at the brain, not the body, says a trans professor. Well, yeah, obviously, (laughs) you have to have skin in the game and some on different parts of the game than it was originally on and probably some in the waste bin in a surgery suite somewhere. Yeah. Okay, okay, we're going to have to bleep this. I was talking to someone yesterday on her and... uh, we were talking about how there was that uh, this is so sad and terrible and i'm about to make a super dark joke about it so anyway patrick not what you signed up for i'm sure but here we go carl pulling's a wild ride <laughs> so <laughs> someone was telling me about the headline about that trans kid that died because they had started puberty blockers too early and he didn't yeah. have the yeah. Yeah, requisite yeah, penile to, tissue yep yep and so they redirected part of his colon colon yep 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 sad to which I said the line, so they they made a, a vaginal canal out of his colon? I feel like they really pulled that out of his 
<laughs> Are you for real? <laughs> it's probably in terrible taste. Yeah, but... it's a it's a terrible taste. Actually, it is. I, I mean, like I don't know how to tell you this, but yes, it is terrible taste. It's <laughs> never a bad time for wordplay. Okay, I believe that, except for maybe a funeral, which I wasn't invited to. Believe it or not. So really, I, anyhow, yeah. Um, I guess so... you could look at the brain. I suppose. This I have a, really, a simpler solution for you. Really long article that basically comes to one study that kind of points that there may be possibly some kind of brain thing going on in like people's preferences when they uh, are post puberty, right? And basically, then it says, but don't really look at this study because you know trans people will find more stuff in the future. Is essentially it, and it's just like. <laughs> a- That'll it's a very simple that. way. I'm yeah. sure it must be around here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yeah. What a great argument. Um, mm-hmm. Also, uh, the punchline to one of my dad's favorite jokes. Uh, shout out to David Carl. Okay. Well, I think, I think that'll, that'll do it, Hunter. Yeah. Thank you for the double kill. There. You're welcome. That's what oh, I did. Oh, double kill. Oh. That's got, that got very Halo Combat Evolved for a moment there. Yeah, it did. Uh, all right. I, I'm I'm too excited. I'm stopping the show, the the preface of the show early. I want to jump right into our guest and our topic this week. So, like we said, our guest Patrick Blonsky, he is many things. He's a writer and a storyteller. Uh, he has a published book of poems. He he shoots and edits film, and in addition to all that. Patrick set me on on the straight and narrow here, but he's taken a recent a recent foray into religious mythology and religious iconography. So that's been an area of study that you've been working on recently, correct? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, and that is a element that we sometimes talk about on the show or sometimes attempt to talk about. But uh, Patrick was pitched to us by a mutual friend for for joining the show i was like yeah i don't really entirely know what that means but then i checked out your instagram and i was very interested you want to plug your instagram where can folks find you yeah i have i mean i have two but the one where the where it has the content we're going to be talking about is holy seven but sevens in roman numerals so it's the vii um yeah and i it's i mean it's called symbolism but essentially what it is it's talking about how like consciousness consciousness works i mean traditionally it'd be known it would be called the soul but because we've kind of you can say changed our linguistics around it i just say consciousness to kind of like so the modern audience better understands what i'm talking about that makes sense makes sense very cool so the holy seven and i checked that out and i was like okay this is super interesting and then we got on the phone and you said two words that made me know that we had to talk to you where you mentioned likening medusa to feminism and i was like yes i'm in that sounds super interesting (laughs) so i don't know exactly where we're going with this but i'm really excited so patrick just to start how did you get into this field of study what what was your your galvanizing moment and and, in for our audience if you can can you tell us a little bit about what religious symbolism is 
and how you go about identifying it and interacting with it. Yeah. I mean, so a little bit of background, my story quick and how I got into this is, I mean, I was, I, I was cradle Catholic. I was born Catholic, but I was Polish too. And Poland is one of those countries like Mexico or Ireland, you can say, where like Catholicism is really interwoven with the like identity of what it means to be Polish and stuff. So for the most part, I, I never thought twice about it as like a serious uh, path. It was just something culturally we did. I went through some, uh, what was it, like five, six years ago, I went through some stuff that had forced me kind of to like seriously re-pursue my faith that I couldn't just carry around this dead body of my faith and just keep saying that I'm Catholic when I didn't follow it. But, you know, it led me to find people like Jordan Peterson and uh, other people that, um, what's it called, I allowed me to kind of view this in a more depth. But Basically, I ran into this guy. Well, I didn't run into him. I found him on YouTube called Jonathan Pajot. And yep. he talks about the con, like the language, the symbolism. And as soon I I didn't have much trouble understanding him. As soon as I heard him talk, something just clicked at me. Like there was like a piece in my brain, like a piece of language that I didn't have. And the way he talked just like clicked everything into place. And so... Um, since then, I've, I mean, I've been following him really closely. I just love the stuff he's been talking about, whatever. And I, uh, and it helps me also a lot to understand what story, uh, you know, as a storyteller, a writer, how to become a better writer, a better storyteller and how, um, and just understand the ancient stories better being that they're so d different from what modern storytelling has become. Um, but yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, so to bring the audience along a little bit what is that that symbolism iconography mythology what what's do you have like a working definition or an example for us so folks can understand what you're talking about yeah the be the most simplest way i can explain it it's basically um it's like a spirit our world is laid out in meaning and so there's like everything has a spiritual truth to it so when you read like and anybody before Copernicus, they they viewed the world very differently from what we do now. So a tree, like when they looked at a tree, for example, it wasn't it wasn't like this biological entity that had plant cells in it that does photosynthesis. It was viewed more as uh, a structure or something masculine, right? I mean, it provided it was it's through like the human experience, so it provided shade that it like. It gives a sense of stability, um, it provides fruit and stuff. So it's like through the human experience that it works. And so essentially, um, you know, Genesis is kind of, you can say, the meta narrative that outlines uh, this language. And so um, I don't know if you want me to just hop hop into it, but that is, is essentially sure. what, it, what it is. But I mean, it's basically how the human how how the person through intellect interacts with the world and it's not just material truths so i mean at some point basically around copernicus and then what led through it, the enlightenment we've had a very materialistic framework of uh view of the world right where you know in medieval stories you have you have dragons unicorns like all these creatures that we know physically do not exist but the story wasn't told to tell us um, you can say like a material truth 
um, you can say they exist in the spiritual truth, you know, in the, you, like the same realm where angels and demons exist to a certain extent, you can say. And I mean, so going back really quick to, you know, so viewing Genesis, same thing. I mean, I think a lot of people have been viewing it as kind of a, um, I mean, I've done this too, uh, had a materialistic view on it where it's how God formed kind of the planet earth as we know it which it's not essentially what it, what it's doing is more describing how the human consciousness or intellect is formed um you know an example is i'm pretty sure he creates plants before he creates the sun and the moon and why would you ever do that when the like you know when you look at it biologically when the plants really need sunlight to survive right so in that sense it doesn't make sense but if you look at it in terms of the human intellect and it starts kind of connecting together and the thing is that these patterns um are built upon throughout the whole biblical story and then they they you can say leak out or seep into our own personal experiences and you can even see them within the pagan myths as if it's like a written code within the human intellect that existed even though they didn't know necessarily about christianity itself um, right. Yeah. Right. So, so like this is one of the things that we've mentioned many times before on the show. It, we, Hunter and I have said, you know, the story of Romeo and Juliet. It's not historically true, but it is a true story in that the the themes, the human experience, etc., that takes place in that story is an amalgamation of many different stories. Probably none quite as grand or quite as fatal, but this idea of of forbidden love and family feuding it tells us something about the human spirit and the human condition that is true when it re- leaps off the pages and that's what makes a good story in fact in, in a lot of our episodes we've talked about one of the key differences between good stories and bad stories are stories that are true versus stories that are not true and that has nothing to do with historicity i will say my my personal take on genesis is that it is true at almost every level of analysis simultaneously. So that certainly doesn't preclude what what we're diving into here. I, I deeply believe it's it's poetically valid and allegorically valid and historically valid anyhow. So um, I'm excited to dive into that. Hunter? Yeah. So, Patrick, I think one thing that, you know – how to put this into the right words. I, I, I have a hard time with symbolism. And I think it, that's not necessarily untrue about a lot of people because sometimes it's hard to describe what it is we're exactly dealing with. And I think you did a really good job talking about how like the physical has a spiritual meaning inside of it. And that the people before us, you know, kind of that was natural to them because, you know, there's this, uh, is it the Da Vinci Code? There's this amazing line in that movie where this priest says, you know, is it who who understands lightning better? I'm very much paraphrasing it. The person who can explain it scientifically and tell you what it is or the person that respects it for its power. And it's like this really great delineation of what's going on. One thing I think that I struggle with, and, you know, you're talking about stories and different things like that, is where's the line between allegory and metaphor and symbolism? And I wonder if you could maybe like help us out there a little bit, because I, I, in my opinion, I don't think they're the same thing. 
Yeah, and I think yeah. it, they're very easy to c- confused as the same thing. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. I I have this thing in me now where when someone like when someone s- says things about the Bible and they're like that's metaphorical, I'm like triggered. <laughs> like it's the <laughs> <way>. <laughs> but but um, yeah, I mean the symbols are fractal in that they exist in different levels of reality. Like you can keep going yeah. with them. Like you, it goes from a microcosm to a macrocosm that lives in its own like hierarchy to a certain extent. Whereas a metaphor is just a, dis, a descriptor. Like you're trying to just explain something in a different way is the best way I explain it. So like, you know, yeah. if I said somebody's eyebrows are like caterpillars or something like that's a metaphor, right? Because there's no, well, it's a simile, the, but I don't yeah. want to be pedantic. <laughs> that is that is a simile. <laughs> I, when I, as soon as I gave that example, I was like, "That's a simile." <laughs> but it's but it's like sense, essentially it's just like a descriptor that's not not rooted within something that works within reality, but just uh, to give you uh, a. It's like a different sense, I guess, of like it's just this yeah. descriptor. Yeah, I'm just gonna keep going. Um, yeah, I think by contrast at least to me it set me straight here but i think allegory is a is a point for point nearly factual retelling but it's stripped down into terms that can describe things that we can't fully articulate um that's that's a complicated definition i know which a complicated definition does not a good definition make but you know when you when you're talking about allegories they are hinting at deeper truths that are easier to explain by by not likening them to something but by playing out the drama in a more materially comprehensible way yeah and thoughts yeah i think that's good but i i would also say that they uh they have a sense of consciousness to them in that if you choose to interact with them or like try to embody one of them, like you'll be to a certain extent, you'll be tested, right? Like, uh, I always give, um, yeah, just, uh, kind of stop there. Like that's, it's, you can, you can interact with them because I think that even, archetypes or identities or angels whatever you want to call them have a sense of consciousness also that and that's why um so sometimes when you feel like when you're trying to practice your patience right and it seems like at that moment you're always encountering something that tests your patience and that's mm. because you that's not something you're making up in your head like that that is actually happening right there is there is a sense where um, I mean, I believe patience is actually uh, a virtue, which is uh, an angel. And so there is this concept of it interacting with you in that manner. Yeah, and there's there's the alternative too. And you can take this as metaphysical or as as intellectual, I suppose, although those two things aren't opposed, but understand the spectrum that I'm talking about. Rational, let's say, as you want, but or I should say materialistic probably. But, you know, there's there's the spirit of anger and I'm angry and Hunter's angry and you're angry. People are angry. And there's there's this idea that you acted out of anger, like you did something 
that you wouldn't have chosen to do if you were in control of your spirit. But it's like the spirit of anger is interacting with you and tempting you along a certain path. And that anger has been around before you and it will live on after you. So it's there's something external to that spirit as it influences and interacts with your own. And, and that's a, that's a, co- that's a concept that applies rationally and metaphysically, I think, in a certain sense. So it's, it's hard to dispense with the idea that there's something more fundamental about certain, let's say spirits, whether you, whether you mean, you know, something that can intoxicate you or something that, something that can possess you or something that you create, but it, it seems like it doesn't generate from inside of us it's it's a force a primordial force that we interact with more than it interacts with us i guess yeah 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 Yeah, for sure um but yeah i mean that's that's essentially the kind of stuff that uh i talk like i talk about and i mean um the thing is you know it's there, there there's still an aspect of faith in that you know i can't the i don't have like i can't just in terms of like because my it's all like i said rooted in the bible within genesis and so i can't necessarily prove to you in a rational manner or whatever of why you should view it in the meta like the meta story that i say except for the fact that i can keep pointing to similar patterns that keep appearing everywhere else that we still experience today that is first outlined in uh genesis and so mm-hmm. um i, I want to jump to genesis but i i, I just want to point out that this style of thinking is so it feels so foreign to us today and i i truly believe that there is something fundamental about it that we have lost because this this mode of thinking is specifically what nietzsche was decrying the death of that the material world would disprove the metaphysical and that the the summation of that would be chaos and and death and destruction and he was 100% right about that and and at the same time the spirits that we're talking about these patterns that we are that we're referring to would have been totally natural to the ancient greek philosophers who were dealing with you know the the forms the the secretion forms like plato wrote about in the republic and also the the teleological purpose of material items that aristotle was talking about so this is not this in in the book metaphysics believe it or not so this is not a foreign concept to how we used to think it's it's almost that we've been blinded by our materialism and uh yeah nietzsche saw it coming in a lot of ways hey honor let's talk for a minute about onlinetherapy.com now i know that therapy has been a giant help and played a huge role in the lives of many people that are close to me and it probably has done the same or could do the same for some people listening right now yeah no doubt therapy has been a huge help in my life uh I've really benefited from it. And one of my favorite things about OnlineTherapy.com is that they utilize cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. Uh, This is the idea that your thoughts are what cause your feelings and behaviors, not external stimuli like people, situation, and events. 
Are you getting angry? Well, that really originates in you. And cognitive behavioral therapy helps you deal with it in a positive way. Yeah, and that's why I'm so excited about OnlineTherapy.com partnering with us is because CBT is a thing that we, we talk about on the show all the time. and something that we actually believe in, that it's the main type of psychological intervention that works. So I'm super excited to be joining up with them. Let me tell you a little bit about how it works. So users that sign up for the system will get paired with a qualified therapist, somebody that has dealt with issues like they're dealing with, and that therapist is going to put together a plan for them. Now, this can involve worksheets, journaling, unlimited messaging with that therapist, and a weekly live session where the therapist and the patient can meet face-to-face, whether it's through video chat or just an audio call, and discuss issues in real time. So there's a lot of different avenues by which you can access the help that you need and the therapist that's assigned to you. That might sound great to you. But does OnlineTherapy.com actually specialize in the mental difficulty that you're struggling with? Well, the answer is more than likely yes. They specialize in anger management, OCD, panic attacks, weight loss, social anxiety, adoption, intimacy, infertility. If you name it, chances are OnlineTherapy.com has a therapist that specializes in your problem and is ready to speak to you today. And not only that, they also offer couples therapy. So if you and your significant other need to talk to someone about some serious issues in your life, OnlineTherapy.com can help with that as well. That's right. So we're super pumped to be joining forces with them and truly hope that they can help out some of our listeners and help folks get back on track. Go to carlpooling.com therapy to access our special offer we have 20 percent off your first month when you sign up now at onlinetherapy.com through our link so again that's carlpooling.com slash therapy cbt is real it's useful it's powerful it's helped people that i love and it can help you too so if you need help if you're looking for help reach out to them and that'll also help support the show so let's get back to it so Let's jump into Genesis. Can you give us an example to ground us some of the work that you might have done in Genesis? Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's important to know that in Genesis, first thing that God creates is heaven and earth. And the way to understand that is that he creates two opposites. And so in 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 a sense, what he creates, heaven is, um, you can think of like an I, invisible idea that already exists. And then earth is potentiality. So another way to understand it is heaven is an answer and earth is a question, right? And the best way, the, be- the best. And so throughout that, he keeps kind of replicating that pa- pattern in that li- then he, made, he makes uh, water and land, birds and fish. Light um, and dark. Light and dark. And so th- there's this constant emphasis on creating these two opposites and showing how they live together right so like a question cannot a question without an answer right is kind of uh it's just unlimited potential because it could keep thinking about it you can keep trying to explore it or whatever and then an answer is just like an identity or it's just just a statement but without the question it has nowhere to live like it has not not much necessarily purpose with without it answering something and so Mm. though all those so like even light and dark right like it's not necessarily i also want to clarify that evil is not the opposite of of good and evil shouldn't also be 
interpret it with darkness too because everything in genesis except i don't remember there was one thing that wasn't that god didn't say anything but for the most part everything he created he said and it was good or it was very good yeah humans he said were were very good hunter you had that that beautiful picture that you shared with us the other day about Mm -hmm. about uh it's a that ancient that ancient oil painting that's spiraling up yeah. into heaven yep. and then there's the apex of it. Can you go through that again? What, what did you call that? Uh, it's kind of a Eastern Orthodox idea. And it's the fact that um, it, what, what the painting Christopher is describing is there's all these clouds and you can, you can probably find something like this online pretty quickly, but at the top of it, it's kind of building the structure throughout heaven. And then there's a dark circle at the top of it, right? And the idea is where God resides is in the dark circle. And it's to Patrick's point that that's like, well, it's not necessarily, you know, why is God in darkness? And it's like, well, you can't know where God resides, right? So it is actually the highest, brightest point, and we can't see it. Like it's outside of our vision, so to speak. Um, In fact, I actually think there's a scripture verse that actually ties into that a little bit, but I don't. Oh, it's in Exodus when God is in the darkness on the mountain. And so you actually Hmm. see it there too. And so it's like... You know, it just these things just kind of unravel themselves when you start to see them as Patrick's talking about. But anyway, uh, yeah. that's well, and that's great, too, because like yeah. God is God is the the unlimited potential there. It's like, yeah, but it is an unanswered question as far as human intellect is concerned. Right. It, mm-hmm. it is unknowable, which is in the old and the New Testament. OK, sorry, Patrick, didn't mean to cut no, you off. Okay. But, uh, no, no, that's good. But yeah, I mean, everything. So everything serves a purpose and everything all the opposites kind of like you can say work together in a sense where they serve each other in that you can, it's also not good to have too much of one or the other. I mean, this is where the whole concept of like yin and yang comes from, right? Like the, you have that circle and each of them have like a tiny piece of each other inside Mm -hmm. and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But that's essentially a good visual to imagine uh, what is kind of going on in Genesis. And so the next step is, you know, he creates humans, so he creates man, man, and uh, male and female, right? And so you have two opposites again. And so the man... Well, it used to be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, so, you know, I also, I also have to clarify this because I know, like, everything has been so politicized now. Um, when I, so when I, when I, you know... When I say like man is heaven and woman is earth, um, yeah. that's not to say, and that's not an excuse to necessarily say that a woman is below a man. It's just that they, like I said before, they're two opposites that serve two different ends of like the circle or the completeness that you, you call. But the the best way is, you know, the man has seed because he he gives seed and the woman is earth. Like she's the question because she gives a place for that seed to rest in her and then she's able to embody that identity further. Now, in general, in Jewish tradition and Hebrew tradition, the woman, uh, I mean, even today, I believe when there's marriage, it's the man takes the woman's name, I believe, or like it's more uh, uh, matriarchal based to a certain extent. And it's a sense, and the idea is that the feminine to some extent is more powerful in because she's she works in secrecy to a certain extent like she's the she's like i said the potentiality or the darkness and so you don't realize that she's like working you you can say until it's too late like that's the pattern of the Mm -hmm. feminine right it's like the mystery of of everything but um well and this is this is 
been our roles. I mean, just in a very practical view, uh, there, there were not very many lady tyrants as time went on. Like, power and order, and especially the overabundance of order, is a male-dominated field. Yes, And sure. by contrast, the abundance of, let's say, creative potential, chaotic potential, has been a woman-dominated field in that the most primary act of creation that humans ever engage in is, is reproduction. And that's, that's reflected not just in the Bible, but across the, the Hunter and I did a series of episodes about this. The Enuma Lish is the oldest text that we have effectively. And that, that uh, spirit that the world's create, uh, created out of is, uh, is Tiamat. It's the feminine dragon of chaos. And from her corpse rises the earth and, uh, and, from her her lead lieutenant his blood is used to create the human beings which is is very reminiscent of a lot of the stories in genesis even the word uh the word tehom which is used to describe the void upon which the spirit of god hovers in the beginning of genesis before he calls the world forth from that void is derivative of the word tiamat from ancient uh, ancient sumer and that that word means deep and chaos and darkness so it's it's a yeah, it's it's a point that, as you're saying, Patrick, it's replicated itself across our experience and across cultures, across our oldest stories. It's a profoundly ancient and deep idea. Yeah, that's so. That's so. Already, you can see how you can make connections and why, and why, for example, like the Desert Fathers and uh, the beginning of Christianity kept the pagan stories because they did have an inherent truth in it that were expressed in another way there's an extent that can help supplement the biblical stories and so another thing that's important though is that um man in itself is an image of a symbol right so we are an image of god so our bodies ourselves are symbolic into how like the world works in a sense because god breathes the way man was created is he breathes breathe he has breath which is usually associated with heaven because it's something you can't see it's like a, sp a spirit and so he breathes life into the earth right and so mm -hmm. there you have that pattern again of and so uh a human being is the connection of the two opposites right there of s spirit and potential you know you have the spirit and the body coming together and so that's why we're the image of god because we're like we are um a reflection of like the way our body works and everything of how the whole entire world works in terms of how we interact with it and um you know and then it's also lastly important that to not recognize also the tree and the serpent which trees and serpents are usually viewed as opposites also so a tree like i mentioned already is kind of like a masculine structure so anytime you see that's why like a uh, Moses had a staff, like kings have a rod, like the, it's all that uh, symbol of like the, the like a structurally masculine order. And then the serpent is associated with time, but not time like we recognize it, like like 5 p.m., but in, in terms of change. So like it's it's just a cycle because it's you know, it, it, it doesn't its body itself in a way almost lacks structure. It's kind of fluid. And so you have the structure of the tree and the snake so it's like space and time um 
and then th there's a reason why Eve is the one that speaks to the serpent, right? Because they're most, to a certain extent, they're most Drawable. related. <laughs> oh, no, most related. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Okay, no, that yeah. makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, because they're both related, right? Like they're both, to a certain extent, potentiality that talks to each other, and mm -hmm. so um, there's an interesting pattern there already. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you can kind of see this already coming about. But another quick thing that's interesting that is important to highlight within Genesis is that. Um, the after they've eaten from the tree so in general i know in eastern um i think this is mostly in uh, eastern christianity it's believed that god always wanted them to eat from the knowledge of good and evil but on his timing because there's a hint that there was a tree of life that was beyond the veil of the knowledge of good and evil but they ate it on their own timing in that, you know, they took the power before God said that they were ready to fully participate. And so um, that that's the similar pattern of that's what, you know, of what science does. You say to, you can say to a human being like the what what we mentioned before with materialism and scientism, Copernicus and the Enlightenment is like it's almost like we took on that knowledge too soon before we were ready to get into it. And with that, uh, it has a similar pattern of the fall in that you leave you to a certain extent you lose that vision of God what God had for us right and so we've come to a point where we've gone so far with knowledge and technology that most people mm -hmm. drop God and that's not an arbitrary pattern is like what I'm trying to say it's like mm -hmm. rooted in what how we interact with the world I, it's so interesting to me that you likened the serpent to time um, and then you're drawing a parallel between that and the trees because one of the things that I've been studying recently is the connections between Genesis and Revelation, and there are like a billion. But the one one of the greatest passages in the entire Bible, as far as I'm concerned, is Revelation 21, where it's terrible, where yeah, it's derivative, <laughs> um, <laughs> where New Jerusalem is described, and it's talking about New Jerusalem descending from heaven, and the ornate structures that are there. And the lack of a tabernacle, which is one of the most beautiful ideas in the uh, lack of a temple, which is one of the most beautiful ideas in the entire Bible to me. And it makes specific to mention that the tree of life is there again. Yeah. So this identic structure. It's like it's like it's coming back at the end of the age. You know, it's a, such a such a beautiful idea. So I love that you've pointed that out. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's important. Tool in my what, toolkit. It, um I just want to mention one more quick thing in Genesis, oh, yeah, and I'm, I'll connect with something what you just said also with the crucifixion of Christ. But the, you know, and the thing is, the more knowledge you, so when Eve and Adam were cast out, Adam and Eve were cast out, the world started to hurt them and they started to feel shame, right? Because they had this intellect, the, the knowledge that they received from the tree, and to a certain extent, they didn't know what to do with it, right? And so, I mean, they saw just shame upon themselves and the world around them started to hurt them. And so God gave them what was the garment of skin. Now, the garment of skin, you can uh, think of it as like the pattern of what technology does, which it, it expands our... Uh, it expands our our ways of interacting with the world in an almost on an unnatural way to a certain extent, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's it's this dead covering. So it's it was made from an animal. This dead covering that allowed them to go past the thorns without being hurt by them. But the so, but the 
something like the garment of skin is both a blessing and a curse. So another garment of skin to associate with something with us today is something like a car, because it allows us to travel faster to other places. Um, so, you know, to a certain extent, we save time. But it, it's in a way a double-edged sword because then our c communities suffer because we end up building everything in terms of what's easiest to travel by car instead of for building community, right? Yes, and so, yes. and and it also and it's also sometimes it makes us forget how the world really works, right? So that's that's something that like a lot of modern day people suffer from is because yes, yes. you have so much technology and comfort that you forget. That if, for example, you drink salt water, you will die, right? Like there's certain <laughs> aspects in this world, like truths, that technology clouds us from. Um, and the best way to g gain those, like regain, the fastest way, honestly, to regain the symbolic view of the world would be to just like live in a tent in the woods like they used to. Like, <laughs> you know, like really live naturally would, would remind you of all these patterns we're talking about today. You got to be careful because Hunter is like two good ideas away from becoming an ascetic again <laughs> I, I literally tell my wife that if she like when it if god forbid she left me like right now like she just dropped in the kitchen like i would be writing angry poetry in a cabin somewhere like that would become my new life and so like <laughs> yeah. i need her desperately in more ways than one also yeah. i love her and want her to be alive but um <laughs> so there's all those things Hunter's um, like Robert Frost without the rugged disposition. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I love all this, Patrick. It's really interesting. And it, there's like 15 things I want to ask you because I think that's the nature of symbolism to some extent is it just yeah, no, it keeps all... Yeah, it keeps going. That I mean, that's, that's the kind of um, symbolism in itself is... So a good aspect of the dangers of symbolism is the pattern of... Um, uh, Locke and his daughters in that so he after he was um taken out from sodom gomorrah mm -hmm. you know he was out in the desert and god told him where to go right but he didn't listen and he went to the mountains and a good way to uh, think about that is his daughters i mean the, his daughters are his seed so in a sense they're like his ideas mm -hmm. and he makes love to his ideas and that he locks himself in the in a cave and yes. and makes love to like his own thoughts right like so that's something so it's important also to remember that symbolism doesn't live individually just with you it's also a relationship between you and the world or you and other people and yes. that's why for example like um transgenderism like yes. we used to talk yes. about earlier is something similar to that in that they lock themselves in their own ideas and they they try to force you to like even though it their relationship doesn't make sense in the world they they in a way become a tyrant where they force you to live within their identity but the world shows that it doesn't work but the yeah. only way you can implement it is by being a tyrant like a tyrant like you have to use these like these pronouns or these names because that's my identity but when they interact with reality it doesn't work that way right and so yeah. um but i just just a quick thing because i i think this would be good connection too because we mentioned it earlier i just want to go to the crucifixion and the tree of life yeah, yeah, really yeah. quick yeah yeah please finish yeah. that as, point yeah is at the cru the crucifixion is something that always I find like when you start reading into it is something 
for lack of a better term, there's so much meaning and it's so beautiful in a way, but it, it becomes overwhelming, like you were just mentioning with all the questions. No doubt. And that Christ himself, like his body, almost becomes like a symbol of the serpent. And then the cross is the tree. And so he recreates paradise again up on the cross. And then on top of that, he has the crown of thorns, which is which is the same, you can say, ring of thorns that were at the bottom of Eden that uh, Adam and Eve had to run through. But it, he takes it from the bottom and coronates himself with it in a way of like taking our pains and our troubles and glorifying it, right? Like we, he opened up the path where we can take our thorns and use it as a way to, to you know, travel and better understand Christ. So he, be, he himself on that cross becomes Eden. He becomes the new tree of life, right? He becomes, he, he like replicates that whole great. structure, like again, but just like redeemed. And, um, you know, not, that's not also to alleviate. I mean, he was obviously a human being, uh, man, like God made man. And so I'm not trying to take away from the, like his pains and what he suffered and just saying that he, it was all like a trick, like, you know what I mean? But it's, it's that, that is all laid out in the story again. And, um, what's it called? And then, I mean, he, he, he bleeds from his side in the same way that Eve was born from the side of Adam. Right. Like, so it's Mm -hmm. like the blood of the church with the feminine is usually the church. It's called like, that's why in, at least in Catholicism, we say the church is his bride, right? Because it's, um, uh, what's it called? It, it's like the bride of the church and stuff like that. Is it yeah. comes from his side, so it's it's mm-hmm. all there again. Like that pattern happens again. So it's like, in a way, the crucifixion, in some sense, is like uh, the end of Genesis to some extent, and it happens again, right? And so uh, it's. I mean, it's it's uh, it's pretty just like uh, astounding. Like there's yeah. there's no way you're gonna tell me that writers made that up. Because there's, you know what I mean? Like that, it's just so natural and fluid. And obviously there's some historical context there too. But you you can't convince me that a person uh, had that much depth and they were able to write that so well to have like connections like that. Like it's it's not plausible. Not not only that, but like that uh, there's a there's the recreation in Exodus as well when and in Psalms. Yeah, and in well, and in Psalms, and and um, some in Kings, depending on uh, how much dope you smoke. Uh, but <laughs> <Okay>. the, <laughs> but there's there there's the idea in Exodus, which is that they despoiled the the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt. They despoiled the Egyptians and took their jewelry mm, and mm. took their took their treasure, right? Which uh, when you talk about the treasure of the tyrant. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to interpret that. One of them, I think, the the most obvious one to me is 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 sin. Uh, it's it's the spoils that the tyrant gained by being tyrannical. It's it's ill-gotten gains, let's say. Yeah. And they take that, and they, for one, it it begets more sin. They melt it down and turn it into the calf, right? The golden calf. But after that, they take the the bronze from those treasures and they melt them down and they form the serpent and Moses holds the serpent up on the the stick to to save the people from their the plague that God put upon them so it's almost like this yeah. another replication of that same idea is like yeah. we, you take 
you take the broken things of this world and God can transform them into that, that paradisical salve that cures us of our deepest need. So yeah, it's a, I'm with you, Patrick. No one can convince (laughs) me that they wrote that naturally. It's too, it's it's too profound. There's too much. There's too, it's, there's just too much there. I mean, there's even so much more when you start talking about revelation or whatever, but I'm not yeah. necessarily going to open that can of worms. But yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, I mean, you take, you take, I mean, I've also just briefly touched on stuff in Genesis. Like there's a lot. I mean, you obviously later have like Cain and Abel and Noah's Ark right. and all that stuff that opens up a whole other patterns. But um, yeah, so I mean, you can use to a certain extent things like I said today and use them to interpret stories that were written in like medieval uh like in medieval ages or even the pagans and stuff like that like all that Mm -hmm. meaning is there and i would i mean it's it's still there today to a certain extent too like you can totally agree it's it's i don't want to say the subconscious because i think that takes away a little bit from what i'm talking about but there i mean it's still in us right so like you can still see that stuff happening in in modern day storytelling like it's those those structures are still there and mm-hmm. so yeah. um Absolutely. Yeah. it's and it's not like it's uh, yeah it's not subconscious it's almost that people that are good storytellers are conduits for truths yeah. that maybe they can't articulate except for through narrative so when when you see those symbologies like hunter and i did a deep dive on the batman Batman. film that just came out right which is like i don't think the writer of that was doing much more than making a comic book movie but when you tell an honest story that honesty reflects truth and truth as a as a form truth as a type and when you interact with that truth what is going to spill out from that are things that are true. So insofar as these patterns replicate themselves through our reality, seen and unseen, I think they can be channeled by people that don't necessarily understand the the tool that they're wielding. So I, I want to hit on one thing here because, uh, you know, symbolism, I think it, the, our conversation is emblematic of this is because the conversation just essentially seems to grow on top of itself and you continue to see more and more patterns and i understand a critique of the symbolist symbolistic way of thinking um one of the things that's really great about modernism is it allows us to box things in and say what we know right and that is kind of not the point of symbolism the point of symbolism kind of unpacks everything and shows us you know Mm. more than we can actually know like that that to me is what symbolism does and so I'm thinking from the perspective of someone listening to this for, to the first time. And my big question for this group, Patrick, you too, specifically, um, is wh- you kind of alluded to this when you were talking about Lot. You know, like you can see the danger in this. And like the thing that I get concerned about and the thing I see people making mistakes is sometimes they take this way of thinking and they make it their own or they see a pattern that actually doesn't exist in something and then I want to go and critique them and I kind of don't have the language to do it because it's it's almost based on it's almost based on this other type of knowing it's almost based on this how how much have you studied your bible how much of you how moral are you you know like all these questions start to come out and that it's not as easy as saying well I measured it and it's actually six inches not seven like you said you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That is that is one of the advantages we have in that objective framework. I'm just curious because, I mean, I even think about 
where we've gone through in this conversation. And I feel like we could go into every topic we touched 10 layers deep beyond yeah. what we did. And that's just kind of the nature of it. So I'll kick it back to you guys for that because I'm always curious as I guess the way to say is the limiting factor, which seems ridiculous because there is no limiting factor by definition of the, what we're talking about. But how do you keep the bad ideas creeping in? How about that? Let's go with that. Yeah, I don't know if you want to mention say you have anything to say to that, Chris, first before I... I have some ideas that will probably sound stupid, so I will, <laughs> I'm going to defer. Well, I, I mean, for one for one thing, it's like, it's, it's tricky because symbolism is not necessarily something that should be talked about. Like the fact that we have to talk about it is not a good thing. So in, in general, fair, yeah. it's something naturally that happened. Like if, if we've separated ourselves so much from, you can say, reality, God, that that there there's a separation there that, you know, that it's talked about. And, it you know, if it's weird also because if I like... Well, I'll give more of an example. Like if Jonathan Pajot said something like talked about this back in like 2008, I don't think he would have had as much of a positive, like a following Correct. like he has done now because nobody would know what he was talking about. Cause it was still, I think even, even like 10, 10, 15 years ago, there was still a slight sense where we kind of living in it. And, but, but like we didn't quite get it, but we've separated ourselves so much that when someone mentions as you're like, you know what? I've always felt that, but I didn't have the words to describe it. And now I do like there's a, that sense. So, I mean, two things about symbolism once again is it. Um, so one is um, it. I know there's this, this rel- relativism now where like everyone has their own exp- unique experience and blah, blah, yep. blah. And so like nothing matters because my experience is different from yours, but that not, there is, there is once again, and then, so like as an example, if there is a village around, if there was like a pool of salt water, there's this inherent truth in how we would interact with that salt water. So like in to use the framework of someone writing a story, like back then they didn't need to know that if you drink too much salt or like salt interacts with your cells in this manner or whatever, and that will cause you to die. Salt water is just death because if you drank it, you died. And so... Mm-hmm. If, if someone has, so that was the experience, right? Like that was the human experience. That was the reality of the situation and that it's not, it's not an arbitrary pattern. It's not something you can make up or force upon it. Like it's the way you live with reality. Now, if someone walked by, did drink from the salt water, he would be known as the drinker of death. Right. And he's that he, he's the exception, what you can say to the rule in that he just, he's special because he just amplifies like how did this guy drink this water and not die like everyone else mm-hmm. that drank from it died from it right and then you might have stories about death came visited our town because he drank from the water and didn't die right right and right. so that that's the experience that's the human ex- experience so the pat the, the patterns is is like it works naturally and that it brings community together but if someone is trying to force a certain symbol or symbolism, then they become a tyrant. Once again, like so, like what I mentioned with transgenderism. So they have to mm. force it to the point where at some point everyone else will will not want to interact with them or be with them. They'll deny yes. that person, right? And so 
Um, this is exactly what's happening right now with Dylan Mulvaney and Budweiser. No, ex- <laughs> yeah, no, ex- exactly. I mean, this what we're experiencing right now is the you can say that the forced identity has pushed a little too far against like you can say the human body as a whole, and it's rejecting it because it's saying this identity like your identity doesn't make sense. Like I, I can't mm-hmm. interact with it. I'm you're pushing it out. And it's that's that's kind of the framework. Now, the thing is, there are nothing. So like something even like a witch, no, no symbol is necessarily like inherently evil either. Like it all has a particular role to play. The problem becomes is when so like with something uh, uh, like the problem becomes the witch belongs out in the dark woods, like on the edge of the world. Like that's her spot. She can stay there. And um, anyone who goes out in the world is going to learn their lesson about how, why you like stay in town, right? Like if you leave yeah. that, you're going to deal with the witch and that you're going to learn your lesson. You're either going to die or you're going to come back and tell people you're going to become the next prophet. That's like, don't go out there. There's witches. And so <laughs> the, even, even monsters like witches, werewolves, all that have a certain purpose where they, you can say they protect you from going too far out. Or, or, you know, maybe sometimes... From, from the, diving headlong into chaos. Yeah. And rejecting chaos. order. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And okay. so, so... But yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, you can you can go ahead. I'm, I was just going to say, I think I think now might be a really good time. First of all, Hunter, sidebar. Uh, there's... I have like... A, we could talk about Genesis forever. We might have to have Patrick back to do Blood and Water sometime. Oh, that, I was like, thinking that the entire time. Yeah, that'd be okay, great. Cool. Um, so I think this is a great transition though, into one of the ideas that I, I'm super curious about that you teased that we haven't gone into yet. Cause you're talking about monsters. You're talking about things living on, on the periphery. So you made this, this mention while we were meeting a couple of weeks ago about the connection w- with Medusa and modern feminism and maybe even Rahab, if I'm remembering you correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like can I think we've got a good our our backpack full of the symbolic way of thinking. Uh let's let's apply it to something that's happening around us today, uh in a variety of different fashions. But can you unpack that idea? Because I, I am just dying to know. Yeah, no, so um Rahab is so in general when Joshua was invading the city, right? They had two two like Israelite spies had to go inside to kind of navigate what the, how the what the city's defenses and stuff were. Now, uh, the wall is the un, is like something that you can think of like the, the edge that of something that's known. So basically, you can view like your the edge of your body as like the wall, right? Like anything past outside of you is kind of like almost like an unknown space, right? And so Rahab is this was is described as this harlot, like she's this foreign woman that's that's on the edge. So she, in a way, is that that. Um, unknown like not monster in that she was evil and terrifying but monster in the fact that she was she was in a sense it was the guardian a, a guardian on the edge uh, she was outside of the city at the edge of it and so and, she, and that's like that's true geographically and and experientially and from the communal sense i mean like the the 
prostitutes don't run for mayor, right? Like, yeah, they're not going to no, be at the center of I, the civic structure. Exactly, right? And so that's that's an aspect that's important to know. Now, she, in in the case of the story in Joshua, it was a good thing that she let the two Israelites inside, right? Like, But, for example, there are cases where, like, the foreign can let two monsters in that ruins the whole city or drives the whole town mad or something like that right but so that that's my case and it's not always necessarily evil like sometimes there is a change for good or a change that needs to happen like there's there's this cycle that needs to be fulfilled but um yeah but um medusa uh, so feminism is interesting because it's 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 appropriate because in a way you know, Eve was the first one. Um, it wasn't solely her fault. Adam was there too. But Eve in general was the first one to bite of the apple, right? Like she's the one that initiated that change. Um, once again, there's that aspect of the feminine, the serpent, like an aspect of change. And uh, But in that case, the change was bad because they got cast out from Eden. But, um, you know, the feminine... So feminism is a reaction to what you mentioned earlier of like an over-masculization of um, society. And so as a reaction from that, the feminism came about. Now, feminism is interesting is because it, it itself fetishizes the masculine in that the way... The way they, I mean, if you read a lot of the early Marxist writers and stuff for feminism, they all say that basically the purpose is to, that the female body is an enemy to them because it prevents them to act like a man. Like to become closer to a man is the goal because mm -hmm. man is the one that carries power and authority. And so, and so they viewed childbearing as a curse. Um, Surprise. It is kind of. <laughs> I, it, it, it is a little bit, but it, you know, funny, funny how God works. It also becomes a, a like a gift, right? And so, yeah. Um, well, it's our greatest pain, but it also brought us Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a wild thing. Yeah. And so you have, um, so that's that's basically an aspect of feminism was in a reaction to an over. So I, I in, in a sense, sympathize with them on that because I kind of agree with that, that at some point we society became too much into authority, space, and just structure, right? Yeah. And so um, at so, so the only way to deal with that is to deny the reality of where you live, right? Like you, we, you have to reforge yourself, your own body to become like you, what, you, what you idolize, which is the, the masculine. Um, now if you're, um, to start a little bit, Medusa was a Gorgon sister. There are three of them and they were daughters to, um, Forces and Keto, which was interesting about Forces and Keto is they were both, um, hybrid gods. So they were like half, um, they were like monsters. They're like half fish and half some kind of like lobster. I think Forces was, and then Keto was like half fish, half woman or something like that. And they were one was like the god of deep sea creatures, and the other one was like a goddess of something similar, like the abyss or whatever. But you can see there, like their patterns, even of her of Medusa's parents, is like, uh, like, uh, like what I mentioned before about what are like unlimited potentiality and a lack of identity. 
because they're they're high like the parents are hybrids they're from the water and so you have this aspect of a lot of just mixing and potential and mm-hmm. she becomes Medusa is the only one that's mortal I'm not sure I haven't like figured out what that's about yet but eventually she was a goddess of uh not a goddess a priestess in Athena's temple now what's interesting is there's two there's two iterations of the story one of them Medusa's raped and then another one Medusa seduces Poseidon so Poseidon and Athena were rivals and you can think of it in a sense of Athena was was kind of like the um how to put this like the ideal feminine I mean she she herself was a goddess of like structure order um society right and then Poseidon Poseidon was more like almost like a um he's he's a god of water but earth at the same time so he's almost like opposite of Athena to a certain extent but um in general the the pattern is that Poseidon takes like his masculine identity in a sense and forces it upon Medusa right so you have that um he gives his like he forcefully gives his seed to Medusa and so Athena curses her uh, and turns her into a monster. And there's two ways to to view that also. One of them is, you know, a curse as punishment. But the other one is a curse to protect her, like to purposely make her ugly so that wouldn't happen to her again. Right. And so Medusa eventually, when you start reading in the story with when Perseus comes in, she's also on the edge of the world. So she's at the at the uh, yeah, she's at the edge of the world and she has uh, serpents for hair and anything she looks at turns to stone. Now, if you look at that, once again, if we look at the pattern of serpents, it's it's change, change, time, right? Chaos. And so she has this covering of just like extreme chaos and change. So she's this aspect of like just this question you almost can't answer, like this unlimited chaos and potential and anything that looks at her freezes, right? Like that when you, when you, like, if you imagine from your own experience, if there's something coming at you, that's unknowable and it's in the dark or whatever. I mean, how many times have you heard people say that they just froze, right? Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's Medusa. Uh, When I was a kid, we had some friends that lived in our neighborhood and the, every time someone says that, this idea sticks with me. So I had this dark robe that I put on and <laughs> this dark wig that like went down to like the bottom of my rib cage. Yeah. And I they they were hanging out in their garage. You three and, girls, yeah. Yeah. And I I snuck over there. It was probably like a five minute walk. I snuck over there and I put all this this, you know, dark clothing. I I was barefoot. And they were hanging out in the garage, and I jumped into the light from the darkness and started screaming at them. And two of them, I mean, they all freaked out. Two of them are screaming bloody murder, fumbling over themselves, tripping over themselves, running inside. The the last one, poor thing, she literally did not move. She just sat there and screamed. And I got three inches from her, and she could not find it in her body to articulate and amble her way into the door that's always like stuck with me i was like i know exactly what that's like you know because uh, i was the bad guy in that situation 
<laughs> but yeah, yeah, absolutely. It it's a it's a real phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what's interesting too is the fact that the thing she looks at turns to stone, and so stone, like mentioned before, stone has a similar pattern to what I said to uh, about the tree. Like you know, authoritative. It's a space. It's like a steady structure. There's a masculine. So it's almost as if anything she looks at. There, there's almost like this same similar pattern of fetishization of the masculine. Like that's all she sees within anybody is their, like their power, right? Where anything she looks at, all their meaning or and stuff just disappears, and they just they're just that one aspect, right? And so it's like stone. That's all she they sees. They turn into pure structure. Yeah, yeah. and so um, you know, and you know, like same with like a lot of. Marxist and feminine theories is all laid out in through power structures like that's the only way they view everything right so it's it's just in a similar pattern like everything they view as a, as a masculine power structure right that's where it comes in like down with the patriarchy now in the further in the story um Perseus basically it's uh gets has to, they they um I forget who he talks to but they he basically asks for the head of Medusa or to like take care of Medusa because she's been causing problems. And so when he goes out there, um, the way he kills her is by seeing her reflection. Now, our, the pattern of the reflection is important because she, it's kind of like you can, it's almost like observing, like, you know, like when you see your reflection, you can see yourself. So it's like he was able to uh, observe the chaos, like he saw the truth behind who she was. And he was able to take her head. Um, now, what's interesting also about Perseus is that he's, he was, I believe he's the son of Zeus. And so, like, you have this pattern that he's, I mean, he's a masculine character and he comes from heaven, right? And so, he, he comes from above this masculine character and basically um, puts structure on Medusa. Like, he, it almost like he conquers her, right? And so, like, the chaos is no more. It's, like, finished. And... He has the head and anything, and now he can weaponize this chaos against other people. Now, one vid mm. one video. Now, it's also important to remember that it's a pagan it's a pagan myth. So, paganism has a similar aspect to like the way they view the world in modern days. I mean, they idolize a particular thing in the world, whether it's power, fame, glory, like women, sex, or something. And so, in there's no necessarily like redemptive aspect in this story, right? Right? Like he slays Medusa and then it's done. But I like I'm one. I I've been thinking like if it was a Christian story, like if a Christian rewrote this story, if if instead of Perseus taking her head, if he would let her see herself, because then in the day she would see her own identity. So it's kind of like what we talked about. Like she she sees the power structure. But that power structure and the snakes would almost like balance each other out. And so almost she would be able to cure herself of her curse. Like Christ does that to a lot of people in, in the biblical text. Like he, in, in the miracles he performs when they see him, it's almost like they see themselves too. That causes mm -hmm. them to weep and say like, I am so unworthy to even be at your feet. Mm -hmm. and so oh, it's the woman at the well right it's, yeah it's, exactly like he, woman at the well or the woman that reveals puts to her her own character yeah or the and woman that puts perfume at his feet and things yes. like that like it's it's that pattern that like re redemptive pattern is there but paganism doesn't necessarily have like redemption in in 
in their story like uh yeah um but what's interesting to connect it to more into like feminism a little bit is they during the me too the whole me too thing can i ask you one question before we go there yeah yeah so are you is your idea that in a similar way to how perseus was able to look at the reflection of medusa he was able to bring into constructive order the chaos that she represents is your idea that that she might be able to do the same thing by seeing her reflection yeah but she wouldn't lose her like she wouldn't die right she would right, just be right. redeemed uh, right, like a similar thing um and it's okay. and it's also important to know that the also going back just the pattern of you had she had like two interactions with the masculine you can say with poseidon and perseus right um so perseus in a way forced himself on her and then and then um she got cursed and then and then perseus so poseidon the interaction between poseidon and her can be you can view it as the the bad interaction between how the feminine and the masculine could look like like uh the masculine forces their identity onto someone else you know like you have uh you have to think this way right or you like have to be like you have to be christian or you have to be pagan right like just forcing mm-hmm. an identity on someone so that's the bad thing or even something like not that it's always bad but something like colonization too like coming in and saying like you're england now like that's something like what poseidon did to medusa and so but then you have the opposite side where um i mean medusa became almost like this untamable jungle and so you have perseus someone that came and tamed it and made a livable space for people and um but what's interesting is during the me too movement um i saw that there's a lot of articles and stuff talking about um you know kind of putting their thoughts that the patriarchy the whole patriarchal structure thing how it's negative towards women uh, through the story of Medusa, Medusa because of what Poseidon did to her and then the fact that Perseus killed her after the fact. And then later in New York, I believe it was in New York, they put up a statue of Medusa holding the head of Perseus instead of Perseus holding the head of Medusa, right? And that's an yeah, interesting... It's in, it's in lower Manhattan across from a courthouse. Yeah, and she, I mean, she... And the thing is, she's not necessarily ugly. I mean, she looks pretty. She's like in the nude. And she, I mean, she's kind of, there's a certain grace the, the way they presented her with. But it's... For our listeners, what Patrick is trying to say is she's thick. <laughs> um, I'm just yeah. But, but the, yeah, but I mean, it's important to mention that because it's in, within the story, she was uh, like the curse that Athena put on her is that she was, one of the things was that she was hideous. Mm. And, mm. and And so there's like a dual opposite there where they made her beautiful, but also that she it's, you know, it's, it's once again that we don't need no man. We don't need the patriarchy, Mm -hmm. but, but at the same time, the reason why Medusa ended up the way she was is because of what Poseidon did to her. Do you see kind of the irony in that, in that they say they don't need the man, but then there's not a man to defend them when someone like Poseidon comes to, to violate the temple, you can say the feminine Mm -hmm. temple. And so, but you know, I just find it interesting that feminism basically took, to some extent, they took her and made her into their idol. 
and what's interesting is later I on mean, literally in new york yeah 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 they made another statue it wasn't that medusa but it was another woman that had like horns on her head and she kind of uh she starts from like full body and kind of goes into like tendrils like these this gold statue uh yep. it's kind of like demonic looking but it, it's still i mean it's still very similar to a medusa like structure because it's like instead of the head the snakes being on her head it's kind of like her body just becomes serpent like th towards the bottom like it goes from unity unity to like all this idi idiosyncrasy towards the bottom and i mean what's interesting is the feminine feminism basically does that in in the sense of it just becomes i mean if you keep reading it just becomes um there's so much there that it becomes nothing like it yes. it becomes the medu like this chaotic medusa to the to the to the far extent now that a man can say he's a woman and mm. and they have to agree with that right like they they've created this structure and so um yeah and and people yeah. that that i'm sure our audience does but the link between feminism and and transsexualism is clear uh it, it's long-winded but it's it is obvious how when we started to hate the essential things of womanhood like childbearing and and reproduction and nurturing you know the the telios of the female body let's say in a certain sense that we started attempting to break down the barriers between our own sexual dimorphism and there's a reason why lesbianism was so prevalent even in the you know first and second wave feminist movements in america it's because it was a there was a partial refutation of gender built into the concept of modern feminism uh, uh, maybe not the core concept but the the periphery concepts and so that's why lesbianism rose and now we've seen you know in in more recent times you know a Bergefell passes and we we get gay marriage and almost immediately on the heels of that there is the most rampant social contagion we've ever seen in regards to trans transgenderism because as soon as we start to say well th this institutionalized embodiment of the collaboration of the genders now is muddied by the fact that any gender can play any role in that institutionalized communal game then there's no real biological essentialism to gender and and it's perfectly natural right on the end of that we said okay well my gender is actually a fruit bat because it doesn't mean anything anymore <laughs> so i just i just want to bring everyone along for that ride like there's a clear feminism is not unrelated from modern feminism is not unrelated from transgenderism there this is a it is a not linearly increasing but a linear story that is progressing so yeah exactly and then you know um but yeah i mean some it's important to also realize that you know christianity is incarnational and we can see that through the pattern of christ and that he he took on human form and we, in a sense, I mean, this is this might be a slight separation between some like Protestant views, and I, I think some Catholics have a problem too. But I think it's a beautiful thing to think about it because Christ came down to take on human form 
to redeem us in order that there's a concept in Eastern uh, Christianity called theosis in that you become you become God, right? You become one with him in the sense that you join in his essence, like you become. Uh, and he wants he want, like wants to share that with you. Right. And that's initially that's an Orthodox what the Jewish idea. Is yeah. Well. So that was I mean, it's kind of there once again in Genesis, if you accept the tradition that um, God did, does want did want Adam and Eve to eat the, from the no, fruit of knowledge and good and evil at some point and participate with the tree of life. Um, but yeah, I mean, so it's, it's incarnational. It goes back to the pattern of a kind of what we, we talked about earlier, where uh, if you accept an identity, like from above that comes to you, right. You can, I mean, you can embody, embody that, right. Like you can almost think of like something like punk is an angel too. Like sometimes it comes down and like, I can't say that necessarily I'm punk. Cause I don't have, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't play the patterns of what it means to be punk. So the only way that people would look at me and say if I was punk is if I forced them to call me that, right? And so, but if I started wearing, you know, this just super stereotypical like the spikes and did a pink mohawk and stuff like that and played in a punk if band, your washing machine broke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then, then, right? Like you have to participate with the these structures in some way to be able to like coincide with that identity, and and that's what Christianity is kind. Of, part of it is what it's about is that we we should want to embody the ultimate identity, the fruit uh, of to be like Christ, right? Like to take uh, once again anyone in relation to Christ is feminine because he's the ultimate masculine. So like to be his bride to be one with him like that's the that's the point i mean that's where marriage comes in that's why you have children and marriage and stuff like that so it's all embodiment it's all like there whereas the feminine and and the parents as you can see medusa and stuff it's all tyrannical it's all for it's all forceful it's all chaotic it's all there's no embodiment it's just like stone and rock and it's like yeah mm. Well, I'll say for sure, I'm looking at this statue of Medusa right now, and it's it just it is occurring to me how interesting it is, you know, with, especially with your idea about Medusa seeing her own reflection. Um, this is definitely not a reflection of modern feminism. This is this is so they're not seeing it because they're much fatter than this. Generally <laughs> oh my speaking. God. Yes. Uh, Patrick Vlonsky, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. And talking us through these ideas. I have like a thousand more questions for you and i think we'd both love to have you back sometime when that works out in the future uh you can find him on instagram at holy seven and on uh, YouTube. roman numeral seven and on youtube at holy seven um in, any closing thoughts for us anything else you want to plug patrick anything for the audience no i mean the, the only other thing i'd be i mean if you're interested to learn if like if you kind of clicked like i did with what i'm talking about i would also encourage you to follow um, what's called the symbolic world, which is mostly where it come all comes from with Jonathan Pajot. I mean, there's a lot more in-depth stuff in there. So there's a lot of articles and videos you can watch from him um, as well to kind of get your muscle, symbolic muscles or whatever moving if you're into that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for, for joining us. And thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we love having you guys along for the ride. We've got big things coming up in carpooling. I don't want to get over my skis, but I think we're only a, a few weeks out from 
uh, the Carl Pony merch store. So I need you to all start saving your money now so that you can give it to me in short order. Uh, you can get with Hunter at Emotional Carl on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Chris X Carl. The show's at Carl Pulling. Our email address is carlpulling at gmail.com. Uh, I'm sure we read an ad in this episode. I'm positive we did. Go spend your money with them. Listen, support the show, and we will support you back. Not directly, but from afar and with a little bit of disdain. And if you think that you have eaten an overripe fruit and suddenly you see a snake discussing things with you and perhaps you've noticed for the first time that you've been standing at the public library for four hours and you're not wearing any clothes and then a a spirit from on high comes down and tries to kill somebody to make you a garment of his skin and you notice he looks a little bit like buffalo bill that wasn't an apple that might have been pcp and it's time for you to get tested Guys we forgot the hunter is a virgin segment.